Good morning, and how are you all? Boy, is it nice to see you. We, um, we left last week out of the book of Acts in the 17th chapter. And I must admit to you that I was, I was in fear and trembling. What's going to happen next? Because, you know, it just says that Paul goes on to Corinth, and uh, there he starts another ministry. And I'm thinking, wow, how do you, how do you duplicate what he did in the 17th chapter. I think you and I will, will, um, will realize in, in time that the 17th chapter of the book of Acts and the message that Paul gave to the people in Athens is um, one of the great, great messages of all time. And so I was really fearful uh, of, of moving into this, this other area in the 18th chapter. And, and I was amazed to find out the practicality of, of what is going to happen now in, 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 in the life of Paul and how it can uh, teach every single one of us. Let me please share with you a little bit about the 17th chapter because I wanted to put that memory of that chapter into your lives and into your hearts. We find Paul in the city of Athens and he's roaming around the streets and I can almost sense the despair in his heart. As he walks from place to place, there are, there are over 700 different idols and things of worship there. I mean, everywhere he went, he bumped into another small g god that was worshipped by someone for some reason. And I, I, I just would sense his frustration because when he said to them, I perceive that you are very religious, he said, I perceive in the Greek, I mean, excuse me, yes, in the Greek he was saying, I perceive that you are worshiping evil spirits. I mean, he didn't cut them any slack. True to Paul's nature, he wanted people to know the truth, regardless of what they might have thought about him. And so he said that to him, but as he walked through, I can almost see him go, oh, Wow. And stop dead in his tracks because he saw this idol to an unknown God. And right then and there, I can almost see him, his mind whirl. All of a sudden, he's got his hook. He's got the message he wants to give to the people concerning all of these idols. And so if you recall, he says, What you worship in ignorance, this I will proclaim to you. Then in, in chapter 17, in verses 22 and 23... He allowed them to know that this God, who they consider was unknown, exists, that He is alive. Then He said in verses 24 through 29, not only does He exist, He says, but this is who He is. He is the Creator of all things. He has given you, Paul said, life and breath and all things. Ultimately, this is what He says. Not only... Is He the Creator? Not only has He given you life, but He wants to declare something to you. He wants to tell you something. I mean, think of it. The magnitude of this, that this God who exists, this God who is the Creator, who gives us life and breath, He wants to speak to us. And so Paul says, He has declared to you and to all people that you are to what? Repent. Repent and believe. 
The reason being, he says, because he has, this God who exists and, and who has created all things, has fixed a time in which he will judge every person in righteousness. And the only righteousness that you and I can have within our lives is the righteousness that we receive from Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. And so God says he has fixed a time in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness. And he says he's going to judge the world by a man, he says, whom he has given proof to you of who he is. Being that he did what? Raised him from the dead. And so we know now who is our Savior. We know now who is the Messiah, the Lord. Well, that message gave three very predictable responses. In verses 32, 33, and 34, some people, it says, sneered at the very thought that this God was, this person was resurrected from the dead and that he is God of very God. So they sneered, they laughed, they mocked Paul for such a statement. Others, very predictably, said, we want to hear more about this. Want more information. And as I said to you last week, You and I will not receive more information than what Paul said, and that is repent and believe. No matter how many times you hear the message, that's the ultimate result. We're to repent from our sins, and we're to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. But it also said in verse 34 that some of them followed Paul and believed in Jesus Christ. Now, when I got to the end of that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But we come into the 18th chapter and, and, and the writer Luke gets extremely practical again, showing us the very essence of why we draw breath, why we live, what is our purpose in life. And we can see it through our example, the, none other than Paul. And it is like, it is right there. It's so on the pages. You just can't miss it when you read the words and see what he has done. Here, we need to remember, we'll learn in a second, Paul went from Athens 53 miles to Corinth. And he went alone. Nobody with him. Silas and Timothy stayed back in Macedonia. So Paul is all alone. And our Lord never wanted to send anyone out into the ministry and mission field alone. He he always said, go two by two. And so here's Paul alone. And what we're going to see is that God, in his magnificent wisdom brings into the life of Paul two people who are tent makers. The same livelihood that if Paul was not called the ministry would be doing, and that was a tent maker. And he teams up with two people, Aquila and Priscilla, who were abandoned, who left Rome because Claudius made all of the Jews leave Rome. And so where they decided to land was in Corinth. Reason being, by now, Corinth is now the very center of the business world. But it is a decadent, terrible city. These people go there to make a living, and there they run into Paul. Read with me, please. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. It starts off by saying, after these things. Let me stop for just a second. Of course, after what happened in Athens. After these things, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And Paul, verse 4, was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. That is one amazing statement. We have looked at it before, and I will have you turn later in the study to Ezekiel chapter 33. But it is the statement of your blood being on your own heads that Paul says, I'm clean. In other words, Paul says, I have shared with you as much about the Savior as I know how to share with you. That you resist and that you blaspheme, may your blood be on your own hands. I am clean. I'm now going to go to the Gentiles. By the way, that was who Paul was called to minister to by our Lord anyways. The statement, may your blood be on your own heads, I can only think of one other place that is, that is more dynamic and more uh, uh, heartbreaking, at least for me, in Scripture, is when the disciples came to Jesus Christ. And they said to him, there are those who are leaving. They're not following anymore. And he said three words that kind of make a person, should make a person shudder. He said, leave them alone. In other words, let them go. He went on to say, let the blind lead the blind. Those are words that you and I don't want to hear. We don't want to hear that statement, may your blood be on your own head. Go, leave them alone. In other words, enough. I've told you all I know to tell you. And so this is a dramatic place in the Word of God that Paul would utter this statement. But there's so much more to this that is practical to us as a body of believers that, that I really am excited about this place in Scripture to try to, to make some uh, heads and tails of it all. Would you pray with me and, and let's see what the Lord God has to say to us about this place in Scripture. Dear Father, please, would you do this, the honor, Father, of opening up our eyes, opening up our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold the most wonderful of privileges, and that is the wonders of your Word. Would you please, Father, move me aside. Um, let, let not me be seen that much, Father. Uh, I recognize fully that I will be seen, but I, what I would really want, Father, is that we would see your word, understand your word so that it might minister to our hearts. So for those of us that need to be convicted, that you would do. For those of us that need your comfort, that you will do. For those of us that need your grace, your mercy, whatever it is, Father, that we are needed for today, that we would find it because of your word. So I ask, Father, that you would hide me behind the wonders of your word. 
Would you bless this time that we are about to take, this trip with Paul to a a very decadent city by the name of Corinth. Bless us, we pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth so that you get an understanding. There is, Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st and 2nd Corinthians was written mainly to instruct people who were so off base on their philosophical, their their religious thinkings that that Paul was trying to bring them back, trying to center their thoughts and their minds and their hearts on Jesus Christ and He alone. Corinth was, as I said, 53 miles from Athens. But Corinth was a place that when you traveled by water, and most people traveled that way, Most people, when they were going either from north to south in Greece, had to go through Corinth. Here's why. To sail around the peninsula of Corinth was about a 200-mile trip, extra 200 miles. And the waters, the, the sea was treacherous. Even hardened sailors, history tells us, would take their ships, would pull them off of the water onto rollers, And they would pull them over a four-mile bridge of land from their point through Corinth to put it back in the waters rather than taking this dangerous 200-mile trip around the peninsula of Corinth area. Even hardened sailors wouldn't make that trip. Therefore, as I said, nearly all the traffic between northern and southern Greece passed through the port city of Corinth. And with travelers coming from every place, business and different ideas and sailors, Corinth became a very large uh, but unsettled city. It had a lot of transit people there. Therefore, it was a very evil place to be. In fact, in those days, the very term Corinthian came to mean something that was decadent. Uh, It was given up to a person who gave themselves up to dissipation and excess. Out of Corinth came the term in the Greek. Let me spell it to you. It's a long word. K-O-R-I-N-T-H-I-A-Z-O-M-A-I. It means to Corinthianize. It meant really, as we would translate it, someone who practiced prostitution. That was Corinth. The city was full of sin, but they disguised their sin as quote-unquote religion. Not a lot unlike Athens, but much more blatantly sinful than Athens. It was a decadent place. They had about 12 different temples, but two of the temples that were most famous was a temple that was dedicated to Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. And what was happening there was they would usually have upwards to about a thousand women who were called sacred prostitutes. You can go there for religious reasons. There was also a temple, the temple to Apollo. This temple was filled with young men whose job was to fulfill the sexual desires of any male and or female who came in to so-called worship. And so that was Corinth. And someone might think, whoa, why did Paul 
why did Paul take himself to this city of all places? And the answer is very, very clear. Paul didn't view things in man's ways. Paul went where God sent him. And so this is where we find Paul. In this city, all alone, trying to figure out what to do with his life. And he meets a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They became, folks, two of his most devoted and closest friends. As a matter of fact, Aquila and Priscilla risked their lives for Paul. Love for you to see it. Look at Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Note what Paul says about them. Now, Paul, when he refers in the letters that he wrote, when he refers to Priscilla, he always called her by her formal name, Prisca. Luke, on the other hand, here in the 18th chapter of Acts, calls her by her informal name, Priscilla. Why? Well, we do not know exactly. But Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, Greet Prisca, that's Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who, verse 4, for my life, he says, risked their own necks, in whom not only do I give thanks, Paul says, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. In other words, all the places where he ministered, they thanked God for Priscilla and Aquila because they risked their lives to save Paul. So Paul always honored them. Now I want you to note something. This is something that someone does who wants to study the Bible. Uh, In six of the times that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, in four of those six times, her name is mentioned before Aquila, her husband, which is a no-no, basically. In those days, the man was always honored and named first. That is not in Scripture, though. You see, God honors a woman and gives a woman a rightful place within the whole body of Christ. And so it gives you speculation, and writers have written books on why is Priscilla mentioned before Aquila. They come down... Let me boil it down to you, because I tried to study this. For That's what you do when you study the Bible. You know, I mean, you know, normally I read that and say, oh, big deal, let's go. And, and, but now I want to see why. It could be one of two reasons. Number one, she could have been raised in a family of a higher social order than Aquila. She came from, um, let's say, better stock. That could be one reason. I don't think so. I think the reason is number two. Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila and becomes more prominent because of the two, she was more useful for God within the body of Christ than her husband. She was more used than he was. If number two is correct, and by the way, we don't know. I don't know. We don't know. But if number two is correct, again, Scripture references the importance of women within the body of Christ and how God honors women within His Word and within the church. It is without question that you women are of great importance to the Lord. Now, we need to know, ladies, you really need to know what the Bible says your position is within the body of Christ. 
so that you understand what we do here as a group of believers. First and foremost, the Bible does now does not allow a woman to be a pastor. A pastor is an elder. An elder is to be the husband of one wife. Therefore, a woman, by the by God's reasoning, has disqualified a woman from being a pastor or an elder. So if you go to a church or you know a church where a woman is a pastor, they're, they're contrary to the Word of God. God did not ask a woman to be the pastor of a church. He did not give that position to a woman. Now you have to argue with God about that. Please, not me, but that's what Scripture teaches. But every other position within the body of Christ is open for a woman just as equally as it is open for a man. And here at this church, the Rock Community Church, we will honor the women. We will honor the women teachers. We will honor the women administrators. We will honor the, men or the women who have all whatever gifts they may have. We will honor that person to teach, to administrate, to do the things that God has called them to do. Because I believe the Lord God Himself does that. Now, how Priscilla and Aquila came to believe in Jesus Christ is not noted. Most people believe if Paul led them to Christ, which most do not believe that he did, he would have noted it. But more than likely, when they came from Rome, they were already grounded in the Word of God. They were people who were ready to support someone like Paul the moment they met. Why coming from Rome is so important? Well, let's take a look. Turn with me again to Romans, now chapter 1. They were banned from Rome by Claudius. He banned all the Jews. So Priscilla and Aquila came from Rome, which harbored a wonderful great church that already existed in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Paul writes, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. In other words, already believers, this church in Rome. Grace to you, Paul says. Peace from God our Father, Paul says. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he says in verse 8, I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The church in Rome was a dynamic, God-blessed church. And from Rome, being kicked out of Rome by Claudius, Aquila and his wife Priscilla traveled to Corinth. The reason, and we don't know exactly why, but it makes sense to me, the reason they go to Corinth is because in Corinth, they could have had a great livelihood in the business of tent making. And so they open up their shop in Corinth, and they start doing business. Into Corinth, by himself, comes Paul. And Paul joins up with Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and he makes tents. Now, with Silas and Timothy still in Macedonia, as verse 5 tells us, God knew that Paul needed something very special in his life. And that special thing that Paul needed was what every single one of us as believers need. And that is a loving companionship with fellow 
believers in Jesus Christ. God knew that Paul needed that. And so God brought Priscilla and Aquila into the life of Paul. Two people who loved the Lord from Rome coming to Corinth to do business. And Paul joins them in making tents. Yet, here's the caveat. Here's the thing that you and I need to understand about when we're in the business field. Verse 4. Paul, even though he was now a tent maker by profession, every week it says, look, verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, trying to win them over to understand who truly Jesus Christ is. As it is mentioned there, he is the Messiah. In other words, he's not a God. He is God of very God. He is the one who was promised that would come to die on the cross to be risen from the dead so as that you and I might have, by believing in Him, everlasting life. That was Paul's real passion. And what I say to you, and I say to myself, our daily work, your daily work, whatever we do on a daily basis, should never make us neglect our service unto the Lord. We should always make time to do that. We got a guy back there, Jim, that works hard all week, and yet he comes, and every weekend, he uh, he films the service. It's his ministry. It's, it's what he does unto the Lord. We all have something that we can do, not neglecting. And if ever I've been a part of a church that it is this church is an example, oh my gosh, do I see it in and through your lives? So many of you serve the Lord. Paul is our example. But note, really importantly, note verse 5. In verse 5, when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia and meet up with Paul, Paul then began, as it says in verse 5, devoting himself completely to the Word of God, teaching. In other words, he stopped making tents and now full-time he devoted himself to ministry. Two questions that I think you and I ought to ask. How did he do that? And why did he do that? The why, let's go to first. How is simple. Turn with me while I'm explaining you the why. I mean, the how. Yeah, explaining the why. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me tell you why he did it. The reason he stopped making tents is because Paul was never called to make tents. He just did that as a business. He did that as a way to make a living when and if he had to. He was taught when he was younger to be a tent maker. And he was going to, when he had to, make tents to make a living. But he was called to ministry. Our Lord called him to ministry. And if any of you have ever been called, you cannot miss it. You know it. It drives you. There's no way you can stop doing it. When my wife and I were called to ministry, when I first... When I quit playing baseball, and I was all through with that, we were called to ministry, and we didn't have two nickels kind of to rub together. And we were wondering, how are we going to do this? 
But we did. We went and we started a ministry with athletes. In fact, uh, Sully was just telling me um, uh, I, about, about yeah about their reunion with the Rams. He played with the Rams and they had their 70th reunion. He was telling me uh, he wants to tell me. He didn't tell me everything about some guys that wanted to say hi. And we knew that we were called to ministry to work with the athletes. And there were some people that helped support Kay and me so that we could do that full time. The why of Paul's stopping his work because he was called by God. How though? How is critical. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, remember now, both 1 and 2 Corinthians was written from, the, from Corinth. Paul in love with these people in Corinth. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11.9, When I was present with you, in other words, when I was there in Corinth, and I was in need, Paul writes, I was not a burden to you. In other words, I wasn't a burden because I made tents. I, I, I made my own living. So I wasn't a burden to any of you. But, he says, when the brethren came from Macedonia, in other words... We know now, and when we read 2 Corinthians, who the brothers were that came from Macedonia. It was none other than Silas and Timothy. When they came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my needs. In other words, the church in Macedonia sent with Silas and Timothy money, finances, so that when they went to Corinth, they could minister and didn't have to worry about making a living. They could do what God called them to do. And the church in Macedonia willfully and joyfully gave so as Paul, Silas, and Timothy could stop working 9 to 5 and minister 9 to 5, or really 24 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They could do what God called them to do goes on to say in that ninth verse, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I will continue to do so. In verse 5, what we see is the church in Macedonia supported Paul so that he might teach. Here's the deal, folks. Paul needed both companionship and support to do what God called him to do. And we all need the same. You and I, all of us, We need support, whether it be financially from sometimes or otherwise. The companionship that we have within the body of Christ is essential to your life and my life. And do I sense it here at this church? Never in my life have I sensed this feeling of companionship, of fellowship than I do here in this body. With you and and with the staff who I bump into all the time. Yesterday, after I got through with the message, I was just, man, I was just pounding and I was trying with all my heart. I don't know what happened, but I was just really preaching my brains up. And someone came up to me afterwards, a lady came up and she said, may I ask you a question? I said, yes, of course. And she said, do you feel an urgency? And I said, what do you mean? She says, you're preaching like you feel there will be no next week. You like are on fire. And I said, well, thank you so much. And I said, the reason I feel so freed up to preach as I do is because the staff here at this church has made me feel so comfortable in what I do. 
I've never known, Danny, I've never known anything like this. This is the first time I've felt a, a feeling of love from Fred, from the staff here at this church, from Wes, who helps. Feeling a, a, a point of support. And I told this lady, if there is a sense of, of passion that you're seeing from me, it's because I've never been so freed in my life to preach the Word of God. And I've never felt so secure in my life by the people in this church who I, whether you're fooling me or not, you're doing a great job. Don't stop. I really feel like you like me. And it's a great comforting feeling to be able to come here and to tell you exactly what it is I believe the Bible says. And don't feel that I have to mince words. There is a need within the body of Christ. I went on to say last night this. When I went to the other church I was at, it started off with 150 people. And by nature, that church was a huge, it was a mission-minded church. You know, Carol, but gosh, if anyone knows, you were raised in that church. Mission-minded church. And I don't know if you remember, but I, I remember preaching when we were only about 150 or 200 people. I said, we've got to strengthen ourselves. We've got to make ourselves strong here. And so we need to stop thinking about taking and sending money elsewhere. We need to strengthen ourselves. Well... That didn't go over so well. And I had some people that confronted me and wrote me and said, you know, we wanted a mission-minded pastor, and it doesn't seem like you really care for the mission field. And I said, yes, I do. I love the mission field with all of my heart. But we're like a soldier that's, that's, that's unable to fight. And we're sending ourselves out there to fight, and we can't fight. We're, 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 we're wounded. We need to strengthen ourselves. And then I remember saying this to them. I said, look it. If you give us an opportunity to strengthen ourselves, I promise you we'll send more money into the mission field than you ever dreamt. About ten years later, we got to be a couple thousand people strong. And I don't know if you knew this or not, Carol, but we gave our church, the Oberlin and Friends Church, gave more money to the mission field than all the churches in our denomination combined. I believe that this church has that before us. We need to strengthen ourselves, and I, I, I'm sensing here we're much stronger than it was at the other place that third year. We're a strong body of believers. But if we strengthen ourselves and we do what God's called us to do, both financially and supporting one another, there's no stopping what the Lord can do in and through our ministry. And I believe that with all my heart. I think we've only seen, those of you who are younger, I'm so envious of you. We've only seen, I think, the, the tip of the iceberg of what God is going to do through the Rock Community Church. There are some young people here that I cannot wait to turn the church over to, the reins of this church over to. we got some young people here who are so on fire. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Wes, I cannot tell you how much I love you. I cannot tell you how much I think that you're one of those men. And there are so many others. There's like Brandon, and there's like uh, Rob, and... There's so many young people that are just ready to kind of take the reins of this church in time. I find that our church is really healthy. We're moving in the right direction, folks. But we can learn from Paul. We can learn that no matter what we do for a living, we all never should neglect serving the Lord. And when we do serve the Lord, we ought to realize the fact that we need one another desperately for financial help and also for just support. 
And so if you look back at the 18th chapter, you look at verse 6, it says when they. Now they are, if you look at verse 4, you know exactly who they are. They're the people in the synagogue that Paul went to every week on the Sabbath to teach about Jesus Christ. And it says when they resisted, they blasphemed And he shook out his garment from there and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Your blood be on your own heads. Would you please turn with me and we'll close here. Matthew 12 is not really relevant right now. In Acts 20, I'll read it to you in a moment. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. We've read this place before. But this place is critical for us to understand as a body of believers. You see, the reference, your blood be on your own heads, is a, is a reference to each person personally. That comes to you and you alone. When you stand before God, you will not stand in your denomination. You will not stand in whatever church it is you go to. You will stand before God Almighty on your own. And Paul said, I have told you as much as I can tell you about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, that He is God, God of very God, not a God, not just some person that you should worship. He is God Almighty, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and He is the one who has given you life and breath and everything. And when they heard all of this, they resisted, And then they blasphemed. In other words, they wouldn't accept the very Spirit of God that gives them life through accepting Jesus Christ as as their Lord and Savior. And so Paul says, I can't tell you anymore. In other words, he is saying, I'm going to let you alone. May your blood be on your own hands. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 to 9. Let me hope I find it real quickly. I didn't turn. I was jabbing away. Who do I think I am? Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord came to me and said, Son of man, verse 2, Speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and he blows on the trumpet and he warns the people, verse 4, key, then the person who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be where? On his own head. Folks, this is the trumpet. This is the trumpet that the Lord our God has given us to sound These are the words that the Lord God has given to say, I am going to one day bring a sword upon the land. Listen to what is written in this word. If there is ever a place in Scripture that teaches us as a church that we ought to teach this and this alone and not be, you know, kind of willy-nilly about church, make church a a feel-good place, a social club, a place where we come and just feel good about one another, but rather be a place where we learn the Word of God, it is we see it here in Ezekiel. Because if I am the watchman, and by the grace of God He has called me to be that, by God I am going to sound the trumpet. And then the decision that you make concerning what you hear out of the Word of God, that's your decision. But may your blood be on your own head. Look, look, look what it says further. 
Look at verse 5 now. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he didn't take the warning. His blood will be on himself. Had he taken the warning, he would have delivered his life. You see, it's not the watchman's responsibility. It is the person's individual responsibility that must listen and receive. Verse 6, if the watchman sees the sword coming and doesn't blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he will be taken away in his sin, his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's head. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take the responsibility of your blood. I'm going to preach to you the whole gospel so that when whatever happens in your life, that's going to be your decision. May your blood be on your own head. I, I can't believe some pastors that open the door of their church and won't preach the word of God. What do they think is going to happen to them when they stand before God on the judgment day? And there'll be some people that didn't come to Christ because they didn't hear the Word of God. They were hearing the social gospel so as to draw a crowd, so as to make people feel comfortable in church. I believe the Lord's going to look at that pastor and say, their blood's on your head, sir. Their blood is on your head. And by the grace of God, I don't want that to happen to me. And by the grace of God, I don't want to happen to you. I love you far too much. You cannot... Oh my God, I was going to really cry. You cannot understand how much I love you. You cannot even comprehend the love that I have for you. I want you to know the Lord. I want you to walk with the Lord. I want this church to be all that God has called it to be. And not for anything on my account. I'm going to be dead and gone pretty soon. I don't know, not soon. That's going to let that lady think that's my, that's my urgency. No, I'm in good health. But by the grace of God... We'll pass this church on to another group of people. And what we want to pass along to them is the truth of the Word of God. Now as for you, in verse 7, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel, so you'll hear the message from my mouth and give the warning from me. This is our Lord's mouth. This is the trumpet. This must be preached. And so Paul said, look, you resist what I said to you about Jesus Christ. You keep on saying He's a God. He's not really God. And scripture teaches He is God. I and the Father are one. Okay, you give other reasons. Oh, He didn't mean one. He meant, oh, you can call it anything you want, but it takes someone with an agenda to miss what Jesus Christ says. He is God of very God. And He is coming to give you everlasting life. And if you resist that and you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then your blood will be on your own head. And so Paul says, I am clean. In fact, when we get to chapter 20, he's going to say, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. You know why he said that? Is because he never went into a community and minced his words. Regardless of what might have happened to him, as far as even death itself, he would not mince words. And I'll tell you what I have been praying about because I've met with my friend Kenny Hutchison. And he has been getting death threats all over the place because he is preaching against homosexual lifestyle and all of that. And he's been getting death threats all over the place. And he says, John, he says, you better start to pray and have your people pray. They're trying to uh, pass something by law that says you, you, you uh, hate speech. In other words, if you say something that is against some uh, person, lifestyle, you can be thrown in prison. And I have been praying lately, am I willing to go to jail for the cause of Christ? 
And I, saw, I come to that answer, yeah, you know, I really am. In fact, I'm really to give, ready to give my life. If someone were to come here and put a gun to my head and say, you know, Dan Allen's, I am not doing it. I want to go into eternity with half a head, then, uh, then no heart, no soul. And so pray for me. It's, a lot, it's easy to say now, but nobody's got a gun to my head. Put a gun to my head, and I might say, what do you want me to say? I, I'll say it. I might be gutless. I have the tendency to do that. I want to preach to you the gospel, folks. I want you and I to be warriors. I want to strengthen our church. I want us to see us become all that God wants us to be and that we'll be able to support churches and plant other churches in time wherever, wherever the Lord would have us do it. That comes through strength. The strength comes through each of us individually. It's not, a, it's not a collective thing. It's each of us becoming strong. And together we become, when one or two or three strands are together, it becomes stronger. That's what it's all about. And so I won't stop harping to you. I won't stop this type of stuff. I love you way too much. Way too much. More importantly, I love my Lord way too much. Dear Father, we do love you here at this church. We've got a group of people who are committed to your word, and I know that blesses you. I know we are trumpeteers, Father. We are sounding the call. And Father, I pray that no one here this day would have their blood on their own head, but that they would hear and not resist the very essence of who you are. And so, Father, what do we learn? Well, we learned that Paul, even though he was making tents, never neglected the fact that he was to be in ministry. And then once the financial support came, he then, Father, completely gave himself to your call upon his life. And what we learn is the people in Macedonia who gave the money to support Paul were just as important as Paul. Both of them had a part in your ministry, in your life. One was no more important than the other. Both were needed to do what you called Paul to do. So, Father, bless us. May we be a church that's extremely healthy. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. (laughs) I love you so much.